Welcome to another episode of the Health Lawyer Podcast with Julian Whitehead. And on today's episode, we are going through the conditions precedent, that the pertinent conditions that we like to see in heads of agreements for startup leases, for practices, for those of you out there who are looking at starting up a practice or looking at starting up an additional practice to the practice you've already got. So we go through conditions precedent, critical conditions precedent, a, a commentary on what to expect in your, in your heads of agreement, and a bit of a commentary on the, uh, the town planning requirements, the finance conditions precedent to finance, conditions precedent to building, and things like that. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. It's brought to you by Whitehead Legal. I'm Julian Whitehead, and let's get started. Hey everybody! Kramer, he's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentist. You're a veterinarian? That's right. I myself was a dentist. I was proud to be a dentist. I did not hide the fact that I was a dentist. If we give up our dental plan, I'll have to pay for Lisa's braces. Well, I'll take a vet over an MD any day. They gotta be able to cure a lizard, a chicken, a pig, a frog, all on the same... The Health Lawyer Podcast. So today going through the heads of agreement stage so the uh, when you're starting up a lease let's get the, my notes up so the key lease terms and conditions and what you need to really see when you're um, when you are starting something when you are starting a practice up we look at um, we're looking at the heads of agreement stage through to um, sign off on that in this in this episode the Critical conditions precedent. We'll also run through a few of them, and the some general discussions about uh, what we see um, in the key lease terms when you're negotiating that with your managing agent. Still running, I believe. So. The key lease terms. So when you're looking at your heads of agreement, you need to make sure that your rent is um, is all in order. Um, you need to make sure that it's in, uh, it's clarified with the agent or with with the landlord whether or not you're you've got uh, a square meterage rent, um, whether or not the rent is, is inclusive of GST or exclusive. Um, and whether or not it includes outgoings or not. The rent review process is, fair, is, is pretty critical as well. So you know, CPI increases or fixed uh, percentage increases, they're, they're the common, common increases. They're the, um, the market review at, a, at the commencement of each further term, again, fairly common. Um, for professional practices, we see between three and five year terms with additional three and five year uh, terms available after that, and the uh, the guarantees and security deposits. So, a lot of uh, landlords will require tenants to to guarantee the uh, their corporate entity if they're um, establishing a a corporate tenant entity. It's not a um, not something that you can't negotiate. It's always like, always good to to query the the line, the question, the um, whether or not the landlord will will accept a um, uh, maybe an increased security deposit to remove uh, the ten the security, the guarantee, the personal guarantee from that 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 tenant entity. 
Um, speaking of the, the security deposit, that's also something that needs to be thrashed out on, in the heads of agreements. So what are we looking at? Uh, between one and two it was ideal. One, two months rent is ideal. Um, three months, three months is getting fairly interesting standard. Three months up to six months as they're pushing it. Anything more than that, we're really looking at site-specific um, uh, security deposits if, it's, if they're large quantums. The, um, the security deposit should also define whether or not it includes GST and outgoings or not. And if it doesn't, if it's, if it's uh, not in the heads of agreement, then yeah, it shouldn't be reflected. And it's agreed and signed off on. It shouldn't be reflected as plus GST and plus outgoings in the lease documentation when, it's, when that lease is subsequently drawn. So we'll go to the key conditions precedent now. And what the the lease, the the heads of agreement even needs to be condition needs needs to be conditional upon, and I th we'll start off with the dates. Now, when you have found a place to fit out a premises to fit out, there's the rush to get that signed and and fit out started. That is. It's very unlikely that it, it will be a couple of weeks. It's just things that uh, need to be uh, massaged out to for documentation, then for permits, then um, for actually arranging the bill. So be cognizant that it's not one or two weeks. It could be a few months. So you start off with your due diligence. You find a premises. You're in contact with the landlord or the agent, more likely the agent. Um, the agent will put a has an agreement in front of you, and you look at the dates. And what 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 dates would would usually be on the heads of agreement is essentially a lease commencement date, maybe a rent free period. What we like to insert are due diligence start dates. So if there's um, maybe two weeks worth of due diligence, um, so if you sign off on the on the the heads of agreement with with say a two week due diligence period then yeah, you're looking at a due diligence start date and a due diligence end date. And what is what happens in that, that due diligence period is that it's put back on the uh, landlord to produce some materials for you so you can actually review what you need for your building and for your permits and all that. And if there's anything that, you know, it's like permits that are in existence, during that period, you can give it to us, your lawyer, to check out. We can give it to um, your building and surveying team to look at. So during that due diligence period, that two-week due diligence period, that's when we like to have the ability for your, the tenant's builder to access the, um, uh, the premises to check out what they need to do. Um, you know, they'll give you a costing, they'll likely give you a scope after that. And it'll also, the landlord should, yeah, should be giving you the existing historical premises uh, town planning permit or an existing building permit by the end of the uh, due diligence end date. The heads of agreement should be conditional upon performance of that. So if the landlord doesn't perform on that, then on those that ten day period, then realistically uh, you shouldn't be forced to uh, to continue with the heads of agreement. Uh, so you should, so there, there should be an ability for um, for both parties to mutually agree to extend that due diligence period for another ten days or something until the landlord provides you with that documentation. If it's not in existence then it's not the end of the world, it just needs to be flushed out. Like if there is something there, great. 
there are searches that you can do. There are town plans that you can speak to. They can get existing um, permits from local councils. Um, but look, landlords with good records should be able to provide them to you fairly fairly promptly. Same with the agents. They, they're their jobs to find the to find the um, the documentation of their clients. Now, so that, that due diligence period that's quite important for for the startup. So once that's over, once that that, that ten days or so is over, that's when the um, the uh, fit out approval period should start. So there's there's certain terminology for how it's um, how it's documented, and it'll be a, um, a say a one month period where or one to two month period. Tenant, you you have the ability to source your your town planning permit uh, approval of your fit out from the landlord, which is really important. Uh, finance approval and the building and per building permit. So the town planning permit, uh, I've mentioned before in previous episodes, that needs to be specific to, to your needs. So if you want a dental clinic, which is likely under the umbrella of medical clinic for most council ordinances, then you want that 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 permit to say three medical practitioners or three dental practitioners to consult at the one time at the premises. And the premises needs to be properly defined. So if it's if if you're in a, a, a complex with 12 rooms and one of the rooms is a um, is a medical practice and you're actually trying to fit out another place as a dental practice which is room six but the town planning permit says medical practice. That's specific to that, that medical practice. It's not specific to your dental practice if you're starting that up. Likewise, if you've got, if there's a medical practice in room 12 and dental practice in room 6, if you're trying to set up a physio clinic in room 3, again, though that global permit will, be, will, will have a combined um, practitioner amount. Um, you'll need a, very likely need an amendment or a new permit for the physio practice, subsequently for the dental practice. There's no; it would be very unlikely to have an existing town planning permit that would provide. Well, this is for the multiple complex, multiple uh, sweep complex. It'd be very unlikely to have a, a town planning permit that would have already covered off those bases that if, uh, those individual tenant requirements. It, it's, it's very unlikely. If you have a physio that requires three physios in the one room and three dentists in the other room and three medic and medicos in the other room, well, you need nine in the global, global town planning permit in that, that large complex. Um, we'll re revert it back to a, a single freehold. And that, that again, it needs to be, needs to refer to that, that premises, so um, 29 Burke Road or <laughs> in Camp Oil. Um, the the per building permit, building permits are, are uh, Seemingly these days, quite um, a lot quicker to get um, from the relevant authority that you're trying to fit out, and your, your fit out team will guide you through that process of actually getting that. You just need to make sure that the heads of agreement is subject to that building permit, because and the town planning permit, because if it's not, and you don't get the town planning permit, and you don't get the building permit. Well, then you've signed a heads of agreement, and you'll be very likely moving towards signing the lease. Now, if you haven't already signed the lease documentation. And which which isn't conditional upon these these permits. We'll get to the ramifications later on. Um, the other two elements of the conditions precedent is the landlord's approval of your fit out. So there very likely will be the landlord requirement as to what the fit out is, what the fit out looks like, if they have any real uh, input in the fit out. 
these can be uh, considered sometimes overly onerous into, on tenants. It really depends on what you're looking at in the heads of agreement. If there's anything in there that is that that is slightly over uh, slightly onerous, <laughs> slightly onerous that looks. Um, looks onerous to you, and then you should really uh, double check with the agent as to what input the landlord will require. It's very likely going to have their own um, their own consultants look at your fit-out plans. It's a collaborative approach that, you, that your fit-out team will need to have with the landlord's advisors uh, or consultants um, if necessary. But there shouldn't be uh, an ability for the landlord to drag their feet if you've got a specific timeline where you have lease commencement dates and these um, these permit periods where it's a month after, essentially a month after you've, you've completed your due diligence and you've got to get all these permits, you can't have the uh, permits and approvals because of the landlord approval. You can't have a landlord drag his feet or go overseas, or not at the moment, or, or disappear and not return um, phone calls from your advisors because that will clearly um, uh, delay the process and you miss key dates. Um, and the finance approval. Finance approval that there has to be in there. It's 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 a unfortunately with COVID at the moment, it's it's something that has to be put in because just for commercial risks. So those are the fairly critical conditions precedent within the one calendar month essentially after the due diligence period. So if you look at the starting start, it's start, uh, the start of this episode is there's we mentioned the, the timing involved. We've already got six weeks there. That's fairly. Those are fairly tight weeks. Um, we we can attest to that. So at the end of that six that six week period, you'll you'll hopefully be able to go to the landlord. Yeah, I've got all my my town planning permit. Um, you've given me your fit out uh, approval. I've got my building permit and satisfactory final finance approval. If you don't have them, or if your town planning permit or the permit trading hours differ and are commercially unrealistic to your trading, your preferred trading hours, then the lease uh, and the heads of agreement in the lease um, sh should be immediately terminated without penalty to the tenant um, by notice in writing. And all all uh, deposits or, or holding deposits, that all should be refunded. We'll get back, we'll get to costs soon and who should be paying for all this and uh, no penalties out of that. So they're the four trigger points um, for for conditions precedent on a heads of agreement that you really need to look out for, that we, we say, yeah, make sure these are in there. There's other things that we do like to put in or we like to change on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, we might have a town planning permit provided to us and it might actually be satisfactory. Um, you, or we, we, you might have you might, might not need finance approval things like that remember that negotiating with the with this you're not negotiating with other, other um, pra health practitioners you're negotiating with other lawyers other agents um, sometimes you don't negotiate with other landlords lawyers or agents that haven't dealt with health practitioners before and as such are not used to the significant capital outlay that uh, health, health practitioners require when they're starting up, it could, I mean, we're looking at between two hundred and five hundred thousand dollars for 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 start up fit out. So you need you need to have your your basis covered just to make sure that you're not you're not signing up for something on a lease, uh, signing up for a lease that can't be can't be pulled out of if things don't um, if permits don't go your way, um, and just to make sure you're not locked into a lease for three to five years. <laughs> now I said we get to 
Pardon me, I said, I said we get to the next element, which is uh, just some slight, slight things that we like to put into heads of agreements that just make sure that it, all things are covered, all, all, all bases are covered. Again, reiterate that there's other things that we like on a case-by-case basis, so we should talk, before, obviously, talk to your lawyer, talk to us um, before you sign off on anything because we like to put all these things in there just to make sure that you're protected. But the, um, the ongoing disclosure obligations for your business finance, annual turnover and other business-related expenses, that uh, they're, they're more for uh, complex, large uh, large. Shopping centres like to have these clauses in the lease documentation, not necessarily in the, in the heads of agreement. Um, so we like to uh, remove them. We put them in the heads of agreement, put this one-line clause saying no no ongoing disclosure obligations requirements. And subsequently, in those lease agreements, they should be removed. Um, the, the, the ongoing obligations are onerous on tenants in large shopping centres. You don't want to be providing your annual annual turnover and business finances on an annual basis. It's just an obligation that you, should, that you shouldn't have to uh, abide by. If it's, if it's a deal breaker for the landlord, then then we'd reconsider it because it shouldn't be a deal breaker for you, but it's just something that you don't want to have to do every year. It's an admin, um, a bureaucratic thing. The, the costs that I mentioned before, uh, what would happen if you terminated your heads of agreement because you didn't get a um, town planning permit or you didn't get the building permit and you've paid a holding uh, deposit. So the tenant and the landlord should be uh, should really be uh, separately responsible for their own individual consultancy costs with respect to relevant fit-out works and consultancy, architect's fees, all of that. And, and um, the landlord should be responsible for their own managing agents' fees, their own uh, in approving the fit-out plans and the, and the relevant works. Um, they, the, the, the parties should be, should be separately responsible for legal, um, uh, disclosure statement, preparation, negotiation, all of that. Uh, all legal should be separate. If, if there are clauses in your heads of agreement, and they're, they're very common that um, the managing agents and, and landlords, um, landlords lawyers, put in a lot of clauses in the heads of agreements that put, pass the costs onto tenants. Uh, it's not industry standard. It shouldn't be in there. Everyone should be paying for their own costs, uh, their own architect's costs, their own legal costs. And if they are in there, you negotiate them out of there. They're not. That, if it's a deal breaker, they reconsider the situation. But if it's not a deal breaker, and it can be, um, and you have a few sites in mind, those are, those are the sorts of things that can be pushed out and pretty quickly on on the landlord side of things. Particularly if there's if they've got an empty, uh, empty premises that needs a, needs a tenant. Particularly a a, um, a a lucrative tenant that you, that a that health practitioners are. Ongoing lucrative ongoing tenants. So, what I mentioned before about um, the uh, ramifications of the uh, permits not going through um, or not being what you want, the town planning permit having shocking hours, no weekend work, no after hours work, things like that, what happens to the heads of agreement, what happens to the lease documentation. So that's the beauty of the, the conditions precedent. Signed off on this conditions precedent, if you're not comfortable, comfortable with um, the hours that are, that are put it set out in your town planning permit, and it's it's that's what comes back from the council, then you, and you, you don't have weekend work allowed on it, then you, yeah, you should. That's the that's the the beauty of the conditions present. If you, is that you withdraw from the heads of agreement, and if you're lucky enough to have already signed, lucky or unlucky enough to have already signed the the lease, and and your documentation has um, hasn't come through yet, 
the town planning permit documentation has come through yet, um, your lease would have been subject to the town planning hours. So the yeah, that's, that's fairly critical. If it doesn't come through with what you want, then you have the ability to remove yourself uh, from the premises uh, and find a different premises without penalty. So if you pay that holding deposit and the costs uh, should be, the landlord's cost should not be uh, uh, deducted from the holding deposit. They should be immediately returned back to you and it should be should dictate that in the heads of agreement that all costs are immediately withdrawn, immediately re, uh, returned to the relevant parties. And these are commercial risks that both landlords and tenants take. Landlords taking a risk that, that the uh, the tenant's permit might not go through, it's unlikely, that's, that, that doesn't happen a lot. Um, but the, the intricacies in the permits, and particularly, particularly the hours, do come back more than a, than a rejected permit. So if you're not comfortable with it, you need to have your own, have your own um, assessment on the uh, town planning permit in the, in the heads of agreement. So, you should really, so the heads of agreement really should nominate the hours you want to work. If, you're, if, if the condition precedent doesn't say, well, I want to work nine to, five, nine, to nine on weekdays week, uh, and I want to work Saturdays from nine till three, and it comes, the town planning permit comes back with Saturdays 10 till 2, well, there isn't out there. It's, it's um, the more you input you put in the heads of agreement, which is why it's so important, the more input you put in there, uh, the, uh, and the more you disclose what you, exactly what you need, if you don't get exactly what you need, and it is a condition precedent that you get exactly what you need, well, that's why it's so important, because you can remove yourself. The next element is slightly towards the actual structuring of the, the Heads of agreement, and that's um, the. There's a few things that you just need to, need to make sure that won't be uh, ongoing problems, and that's uh, proposed signage. There shouldn't be unreasonable um, withholding for the landlord of your, your uh, consent. That is um, for your proposed signage, and the uh, the disclosure statement, which is another document that comes with all the, uh, in, in Victoria. That is, and certain elements in, in New South Wales. And Queensland, of course, the um, the disclosure statement uh, needs or shouldn't refer to uh, essential service measures as a tenant's uh, cost. So it should be passed on to you. There's case law and statute and and, um, and opinion, but opinions on this uh, critical element. Well, it's not critical, but it's it's a it's usually a, between five hundred thousand dollars annual uh, five hundred and a thousand dollars annually that you shouldn't have to pay. So have the have a have a clause in the heads of agreement. That removes your the tenant responsibility for essential services measures, and you've saved yourself a little bit of money there. I'm going. The lease also, depending on what you what what is disclosed from the um, from the agent or the landlord and the status of the building, the lease can't contain demolition, refurbishment, or renovation clauses if they haven't been disclosed to you. You need to make sure that if that if there are clauses like that, if those words are mentioned in the heads of agreement, um, then they will very likely be in the lease. And if you sign off on those um, leases with demolition, refurbishment, or renovation clauses, you really need to discuss this with your lawyer because the ramifications can be quite large. I, can go th I might actually go through a separate episode on what the um, ramifications are and what the pro process to ramifications on demolition and refurbishment, particularly with in large shopping centre uh, leases. And the effect it does have, yeah, on, on your goodwill and, and that you, any, any practice 
any health practice wall test, you know, moving up and going up into the next practice wall is clearly damaging to, to, to one's goodwill. But it get down to the, the, the genesis point. The heads of agreement is the genesis point for any relationship here with between the landlord and the tenant. So it has it has to be either disclosed now or if there is um, if there is an issue, it, this will flush it out. If there's going to be demolition clauses in the lease, uh, the, the the landlord won't sign off on the heads of agreement saying there's no demolition clause that's going to be in the lease. So this will definitely flush out what 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 the agenda is if there is an agenda. And it's, again, unlikely that there is, but it's always good to have something in your heads of agreement saying we don't want any heads of demolition refurbishment or renovation clauses. If there are, then you'll find out. The other things, uh, well, final two elements that we like to see in uh, on, a, on a general basis for these uh, startup heads of agreements are the rights of first refusal to purchase the, the freehold, the premises freehold, um, in the event the landlord wishes to sell the freehold during the, the first term or any further terms. So, firstly, this this element is is it's a, it's essentially when the landlord wants to sell, they'll knock knock on your door. Um, maybe not literally, <laughs> but the um, the landlord will yeah, give you first right of right to purchase freehold. Um, there's the, the clauses in the lease that uh, they vary wide widely, so they do need to be checked. Um, but if there's a if there's an element, if there's a clause or a, a condition in the heads of agreement that says yeah, you'll be offered the first right of refusal, you need to make sure that it lines up with the what's set out in the lease document. If it's not in the lease and it's agreed to in the heads of agreement, well, it really should be in the lease. Um, you'd be surprised how, how how often these heads of agreements aren't uh, the terms aren't put in the lease. It's just sometimes it gets, it's fairly frustrating, but you, know, you have to work with what you what you're given. The um, right of first refusal should also this is fairly critical for uh, secession planning. It also because they are valuable um, elements. You need to make sure that they go over, they cover your entire um, the tenure of your lease. So if not only the first term, but Second term, third term, however many terms you have, but also that they're assignable, and the landlord shouldn't be shouldn't have the ability to remove the clause in the event that you sell your practice um, or transfer your lease to an incoming um, uh, the assignee. Um, the, it should run with the land. Uh, if it doesn't, yeah, it's you know not the end of the world, but it's always good to have it there as a commodity for when you are selling. You, you, it's a marketing marketing appeal, and 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 it may well increase the value of your practice to have that that first right there for an incoming purchaser to look at and go, okay, that's there, that's good. We'll um we will put that park that to the side when it actually happens. The other thing is quite in, uh, the final thing is the quite interesting element of exclusivity and whether or not the the the, the Exclusivity will be offered to you if it's not offered to you, and you have a you're in a complex of only 12, 12 sites. Um, exclusivity should be of a let's say an example of a dental practice. You need exclusivity in your complex. There are element there are uh, a lot of um, times when it's not necessary. Um, it won't be necessary if it's just a single freehold. If the landlord doesn't own any other complexes uh, or any other any other. Uh, uh, Sites nearby, then it's not an issue because you can't ex have an exclusivity over nothing. You can't if you're if you're leasing out the entire premises. But if you're only leasing out half the premises, or a quarter of the premises, or that way even subleasing there, um, or if uh, yeah, if you're in a say yeah, a twelve or a 10, 10 
10 suite complex or a shopping center, the exclusivity clause is really important. I think it's fairly obvious as, as to the um, ramifications if it's not. Uh, the landlord it gets, it gets another, another dentist or a chiro in or a physio in and there's competition that you don't want. Um, the, or if, if, if you have a, um, if you're buying, say you're buying a practice, um, a dental practice um, and the old vendor has, um, uh, owns a freehold as well, doesn't sell you the freehold and buys, uh, after, after a few years, buys a, um, another, uh, a, another, say another <laughs> commercial uh, premises or another block of land or something and build something themselves, well, that could be a problem because you have very likely got restraints in your, when you're buying the practice, whether or not they've um, run out or not, but a, an exclu exclusivity clause in your lease might not have the same, uh, uh, might, might not have run out yet. So you might have just that bit more uh, power and a bit less commercial risk um, to have in having uh, a com competitor open up nearby. Um, so those elements are, are the important elements. And w so today we, I want to just run through those elements, those key conditions of precedent, the key lease terms that we like to see in the heads of agreement. If there's any um, queries that you have on any of those any of the terms that we discussed today, please don't hesitate to call. And remember to like, share, and subscribe the Health Lawyer Podcast. That'd be ideal. I'm Julian Whitehead. And thank you very much for listening.